are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. These 73 verses in these three chapters, you're going to have to work at it tonight. Uh, You're going to have to work to pay attention. You're going to have to work uh, to listen carefully. I'm going to try to use the scripture to explain the book the best. Uh, It's just a powerful book. The book of Joel, and I'll give you the letter R in a moment, but if you want to write down by that name Joel, Joel's a great name. I think of my deacon who's with the Lord, Joel Spencer. Joel was such a wonderful man. His son is Joel Spencer. He has taught for years at Ambassador Baptist College, one of our men out of our church. And and, um, Joel Spencer, we have a lot of Joels. We have Joel in the hospital tonight. Uh, Joel is a perfect name for this book because the name explains what's going on. The name Joel means Jehovah is God. And you know, sometimes in 2019, it seems like everybody else is in charge, but not God Jehovah. It seems like he has been regulated to back seat, that he's not on the throne. But I'm so thankful to say he's still God. He's still on the throne. And God is God Jehovah. And Jehovah God is gonna reveal to himself that time's up. I've taken this long enough, the rejection of the world. And I'm gonna now put the sickle in. And he talks about this sickle often and compares it in the book of Revelation, we see it tonight. But he says, it's it's coming time for Armageddon. And so something takes place here. And at the very beginning, Joel introduces what he wants us to do with this book. I want you to repeat it and repeat it, and repeat it, and repeat it, and tell everybody in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, I want you to repeat what my message is, judgment's coming. Look what he says in verse number three. Uh, The Bible says, tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and let their children tell another generation. Just keep repeating my story that Jehovah's God and judgment's coming. So the R for me would be very obvious. The book of Joel is a book that's to be repeated. We're to tell it over and over. And I hope in the years to follow, if the Lord should tarry and we live, that when we get to Joel, I'm putting by every word of the, every, every book, now I have it written, Joel, repeat. And I've got the letter R, and I'm gonna try to, and our, as we've had these men of God speak to us and teach us the Bible, I wanna try to use it to jog my memory every time. Okay, Joel is to repeat, and he's repeating that judgment is coming, and God is gonna deal, and Jehovah is God. And so we see that he wants to to, to repeat. It's a a sobering book. By way of introduction, uh, notice, would you see these words? It's like so urgent. Joel said, verse, Chapter one, verse two. What's the first word? Hear. 
here. Listen up. It's just that if you have a convenient time, you let, no, it's, it's listen. And he's going to intensify that because he says, I've got something to tell you. And when I tell you, I want your children to know it and your children's children and your children's children's children. I want them to know it. This is urgent. And so there's an urgency. In fact, verse number two, he says, give ear. Open up your ears. It's not like if you get an opportunity, listen. It's here. Listen. Give ear. Open your ear. Notice what he says in verse five. What's the first word, class, church? Awake. Wake up. Listen up. Wake up. This is urgent. This is not Mickey Mouse time. It is judgment time. Wake up. Notice what he says in verse number eight. Verse number eight. What's the first word? Lament. This is not fun time. This is lamenting time. This is weeping time. This is judgment time because Jehovah is God and he's going to prove he is God. Notice what he says in verse 13. What's the first word? Gird. It's like picking up your loins. We got some urgency happening here. Gird. What is he saying that? Lament how ye ministers. This is an urgent moment. I want you to listen, he said. I want you to get your ear open. I want you to lament. I want you to, I want you to awake. I want you to know that there's lamenting and howling and gird yourself. And notice what he says in verse number 15. Alas for the day, the day of the Lord is at hand. He's going to talk about that day of the Lord repeatedly in this, in this book. Chapter 2, verse 1, what's the first word? Blow ye the trumpet. Blow, sound, sound the alarm. He says the same thing if you'll go over to verse 15. Blow the trumpet. Judgment's coming, blow the trumpet. For the Bible says, the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive, but the trumpet will blow. And thank God when that trumpet blows, he is coming again. He is coming again. This very same Jesus who's been rejected of men. Chapter two, verse two. It's a day of what? Darkness. And a day of what? Gloominess. There hath not been ever like, neither shall there be more uh, anymore after it for the years of the many generations. This, this is a day like no other day. And that's why Joel says, I'm trying to get you to listen and wake up and howl and, re and, re and, re and repent and blow the trumpet. It is coming. It's on us. Notice what he says in verse number four. In chapter two, in verse number four, he says, the appearance of them is as the appearance of horses and they run. Verse five, the noise of the chariots of the tops, the mountains they leap like the noise of the flame of fire. That, here's this word, devoureth. Repeatedly in this book, he uses, it's a devouring time. Vegetation would be devoured and the rivers will be devoured. And, 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 and there'll be a wormwood and all this is happening. Notice what he says in chapter two, verse five. The noise of chariots and the desolate, it will devour. In verse number three, the fire devoureth. He mentions this word desolate. 
in chapter one, verse 17, the seed is rotten, chapter one, go back please, rotten under their clogs and the gardeners are lay desolate. There, there, there is distress everywhere in this book. The trees are stripped bare. The animals are starving to death. There's death around them and things are desolate. Look what he says in chapter one, as we just read, verse 17. How about chapter one, verse 18? There it is again. How do the beasts groan? The herds of the cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of the sheep are made, what's that word? Desolate. Verse 19, they're devoured. Verse number 20, the beasts, they're devoured. The pastures, the wilderness. Look in chapter number two and verse number 20. You're listening well. And I will remove from far off the northern army and will drive him to land barren, desolate. There's that word again. Chapter three, verse 19, Egypt shall be desolation and Edom shall be desolate. What does he say in chapter two, verse 17? Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord, what's that word? Weep. It's weeping time. It's, it's weeping time. It's judgment time. God, Jehovah, is gonna judge planet Earth. The time of grace is up. We are living. Some many new evangelicals have begun this and compromisers that we are in, uh, what are you doing for the kingdom? This is not kingdom day. This is church age day. Thy kingdom is gonna come, but the kingdom's not here. We're not doing anything right now. We are living in the day of the New Testament local church. Don't let anybody take, even, don't even take the name off the sign. To me, it's blasphemous. Jesus gave his life for the church. The church. If Jesus gave his life, why are we taking it off the sign? I love the church. I love our church. And notice what the Bible says on chapter two and verse 30. I want you to read this with me. Chapter two, verse 30. This sort of sums up this, this moment of telling us what's happening. We'll get to Armageddon, but verse 30. Ready, begin. I will show wonders in the heavens. How would you like to live in that era, that moment? We had smoke here two weeks ago Sunday night from these fires. And I'll tell you what, for some it was choking. And it didn't look very pleasant. It was gloomy out here. But this is a day when there is gonna be blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun, verse 31, shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord shall come. It's gonna be, it's not a Sunday school picnic. Notice what he says in chapter three, verse two. I wonder if I could have you read that together. Chapter three, verse two, ready, begin. I will also gather all nations God continually tells us about my people, my nation. He mentions repeatedly Jerusalem and the word Zion. Zion is the eastern part of that city, that upper hill. 
and Mount Zion and there's Mount Moriah on the western side. And those are very sacred places. Keep your eye upon that eastern gate. God is coming again. And notice what he says in verse number nine. Verse number nine. Would you read this? This, this really, and three, uh, two words, two words really explain what's happening in this book. But could we read chapter three, verse nine? Ready? Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. And so he's talking about all that's taking place. I want to back it up and go back to chapter one and work our way through these three chapters. And I know we don't have a, a lot of time, a great amount of time, but he's telling us, keep repeating this. Keep telling everybody what's happening. You know, I've been so overwhelmed today, and I've said it in a couple of the different chapels. And I know that perhaps the Blunko family is li listening right now. They were listening Sunday night, I know. We had so many people listening on Sunday night that texted me and said, I, I just needed the service tonight. And you know, our dear friend, Brother Buddy, his funeral is this Friday in Arkansas. And I've just thought repeatedly how that there had to be a last conversation with everyone in his family. But no one knew it was the last one. Uh, his wife was perhaps making dinner and he just was gonna run up on the roof Saturday night and do something up there. And maybe she said, buddy, you be careful up there. Or she may have said, when you get down, we have soup on the stove. You get down here as quickly as you can. But she had a last conversation and he had a last conversation. It's like that last conversation that's in Brother Silva's book with his wife and two kids before that morning they were killed in a car accident. And though he's one of the most godly, sweet, kindest man I've ever met in my life, I said it the other day, I was so grateful my mother and dad, the last couple of years of their life, were able to have him as their pastor. Just a wonderful man. But I said, I wish I could have had that last morning to do it over. I guarantee it, they weren't yelling at one another. But he just said, I wish we could have left things a little bit better. We gathered together with our staff this morning for prayer. And I like prayer with the staff. And if you ever have prayer requests, send them in. We pray at 8 o'clock together. But as we were praying this morning, I said, I want us to leave every conversation today, whether on the emails or whether on the phones or whether in person or whether in our offices or whether with students or parents our pastors, I want us to leave every conversation like it might be the last. And God is telling us in this book, this is it. This is it. We're at the end. You've run out of time. You're going to have to wake up, he said. And God's family, I, 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 don't, I don't expect to ever get too old to have to resign this church or die because I expect the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come soon. I really believe he's coming. Now, I never met my mother's dad. He was gone before she was even married, and her mother was gone in death before she was married. 
But my mother would tell me that my grandfather in German, in Wisconsin, would stand. He'd work the late, as a layman in the farms and in the factories, but he'd preach on Sunday in the German Baptist churches. And he'd preach the word of God. But she said, I remember my father. And my goodness, he died in the 30s. And she'd say, I remember, I think it was 1938, he passed away. She goes, I remember my father telling us that Jesus is coming again. He'd preach, Jesus is coming again. And I remember years ago, she said, son, if he believed that then, and he thought it was Jesus' time to come, just think what it must be like now. Just think how close we must be. My dad heard my mother say that and said, well, your grandfather, he was born in 1887. All four were born in 87, I think, 1887. And he said, my dad would preach in German at a Baptist church, and he would preach on the second coming, that he's coming again. And we need to blow the trumpet and sound the alarm, and Jesus is coming again. Well, Brother Steve, just think how far down the road we've gone since 1938 and 40 and 42. He must be coming, and maybe he's coming today. I truly believe his coming is nigh. When you begin to see all these things come to pass, Matthew 24, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And tonight, in these few brief moments we have left, do you notice there's an ambush that's going on? In chapter number one, and in verse number one, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, and you inhabitants of the land, even your fathers, and he speaks about this ambush from the palmer wood in verse number, locusts are coming, green caterpillars are coming and eating away the vegetation. That is a replica of what's taking place in the tribulation in the book of Revelation. As the locusts come, as they devour the land, and when they strip clean those trees and the vegetation, it's gonna show up for the sheep and the goats and the cattle and all that are in the pasture, nothing's left to eat. Great famine is gonna come. And he, he, he says there's an ambush coming. Verse number seven, he laid my vine waste and barked my fig tree and hath made it clean bare and cast it away in the branches thereof white. Notice in chapter two, verse number 10, the Lord, the earth shall quake before them Heaven shall tremble, and the sun, the moon shall be dark, and the stars withdraw their shining. Notice in chapter 2, verse number 12. Therefore now saith the Lord, host, turn you even unto me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, not your garments. Notice what he says in verse number 17. Ye priests and ministers of the Lord, weep. There's not a lot that I, I look at my life and there's so much more you need out of me, but I'll tell you one thing I know, and I believe it's on a daily basis. I weep before God for God's people. I weep with the condition of our people. I weep about the situations that some of you have placed yourself or life has placed you in a very difficult place not because you're wicked or backslid, it's just life is hard. And life happens to all of us. And you know, as a minister of the gospel, I wonder what would happen if every preacher would get along with God 
on a daily basis as Jeremiah had weeped before God for his people. I am concerned for our nation. But I tell you what I'm really concerned about, these precious sat down there, these beautiful precious boys and girls and teenagers that sang here tonight. Mom and dad, when the Spirit of God wakes you up in the middle of the night, awake, as the old said, awake, get up, and steal away to a place and pour your heart. It might be too loud in the house. You may have to go to the garage. I spent hours in the garage when our kids were younger. It may be sometimes when they were little, I'd just go to their crib in their room and I'd listen to them breathe. And I'd lay on the floor and pray before God. Oh dear God, these children, they're our children. You put them in our care. Oh God, may I be a good dad. Maybe be good. Listen, friend, you got children. Can you weep before God for them? How sad it would be if your son or daughter would go through the tribulation from a Christian school. How sad if your mother and dad would go through the tribulation in a church like this. Here he's weeping because of the ambush where everything is being attacked. Look at chapter two, verse number 18. The Lord will be jealous for his land and piteous people. The animals were being affected. I go back and I, I see verse number chapter one, verse 17, the seed is rotten. You cannot give rotten seed to the, the animals. The gardeners are desolate. The barns are broken down. The corn is withered. The beasts groan. The herds of the cattle are perplexed. The flocks of the sheep are made desolate. The wilderness has been devoured. The flame has burnt the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry. The rivers of water dried up. This is Armageddon. This is tribulation time. This is a time to wake up. I find the ambush, I find the awake. Notice what he says in verse number, chapter one, verse five. Awake, ye drunkards. And repeat that ambush is coming and repeat that we need to wake up, pay attention. He talks about apostasy thirdly. Verse 13 and 14, something's wrong. You ministers lament, you ministers howl. You ministers, ye ministers of my God for the meat offering, the drink offering was withholding from the house of God. God's people became stingy with God and sanctify a fast and call a solemn assembly to gather the elders and the inhabitants of the Lord into the house of the Lord. He repeatedly speaks about the house of the Lord in verse number nine and verse number 13 and verse number 14 and verse number 16. God's house. Your God crying to the Lord that apostasy had entered in. They weren't even ashamed that they were not, they were taken from God, what was God's. No big deal. God doesn't, he's not gonna interrupt my lifestyle, my life. And so I see that there's an ambush and I see there's awakening and I see there's an apostasy. I see there's an alarm. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Chapter two, verse one, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm, my holy mountain, let the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, it is nigh at hand. We've read it already, but verse 15 says it's, a, it's time to sound the, the alarm. 
I don't know how you are, but maybe you're one of those and it's not a problem if you are, but you get up with an alarm. When the alarm goes off, you know what it's announcing? Time's up. No more sleep. And some of you start backsliding because of that alarm. Oh, I'm still tired. I, uh, I wake up all night long. It's kind of funny. And I'll go to sleep about 12, 12, 15, 12, 30. And the other night, I went to sleep about 12, 15 or so. And at 1.15, I woke up. I said, you know, I feel really good. Man, I had a good night of rest. And I lifted myself up and looked, and it said 1.15. I'd been asleep an hour. I said, I think we'll go back to sleep for a little bit more. You know, when an alarm goes off, it means you run out of time. You know, life allows you to run out of time, too. I don't think it's the law anymore. It used to be. I remember when Brother Newcomb was one of our professors here, and he and his wife are laid to rest out here where Brother Perino is. Last week we had his funeral. Brother Newcomb would drive bus here, and he turned 70 and then wasn't able to ride, drive a bus anymore in California. I don't know if they changed that law or not. You know, some of you are running out of time if that is the law. If that is the law, you're going to run out of time to drive a bus. I hear those buses. I hear them going out. I'm walking to church on Sunday morning. And I hear, hear them in our neighborhood coming. I said, there's a bus coming behind me. Sure enough, there's a bus. And what a privilege it is to drive and to bring those boys and girls. Our staff, our men, our people are out like never before. We're out all the time visiting people, calling on people in the hospitals, door knocking every day. And we are getting literally, and our men and ladies will know this, we are getting literally every day, oh, I rode the bus. Or I got saved and baptized at North Valley. I have it every day, every day if I'm out and I pass the track, I have it all the time. I was in an elevator in a hospital this week and a, and a contractor was in there working away at the hospital and I gave him a gospel track. He goes, this is amazing. I just moved here, I think he said, from Michigan and I've been wondering about where I could go to church. I'm coming. I, it's, folks, are, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And when we, if you're not careful, we've run out of time. Notice the annihilation, number five, chapter two, verse number one. The day of the Lord cometh is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds. I, 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 there's, look at the annihilation, verse 10, the earthquake. The earth shall quake before them, and the heavens shall tremble. In the Bible, when there's an earthquake, whether it's the resurrection, it's always God speaking. And this world's going to quake like she has never quaked. You would know, you could Google it right there while you're sitting there, and I'd ask you not to do it, but there are thousands of earthquakes every year. The hot spot of earthquakes, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, in the nation right now is Oklahoma. But every year since 1955, we've had more earthquakes than the previous year. I think God is raising the voice every year. He's trying to let us know I'm coming again. Blow the trumpet. The day of desolation's coming. The, the, day, the, day, uh, uh, the day of annihilation, the earthquake. Notice the army, number six. 
And the Lord, chapter two, verse 11, the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For his strong, he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord, it's always the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? Keep your hand here, please. And I know we're quickly out of time. Revelation 19. Please keep your hand right there if you will. Revelation 19. In Revelation chapter 19, his army, what an army. In chapter number 19 and verse 11, and I saw heaven open and a white horse and they, that sat on him called faithful and true and righteous and doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew it but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. That's God's people that have been raptured and out of his mouth go for the sharps sword with it should smite the nations and he shall rule with the rod of iron and treadeth out the winepress, the fierceness, the wrath, the almighty. And he hath on his vesture, on his thigh, a name written king of kings and Lord of lords. Keep a marker still in Revelation there. I find his army. I find Armageddon, chapter three of Joel. Coming right back to Revelation chapter three of the book of Joel and in Armageddon, verse number two, and I will gather the nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and I will plead with them there for my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Go back to Revelation chapter 16, please. Chapter 16. And in chapter 16 and verse number 13, the frogs and the dragons and the beasts and the false, uh, uh, false prophet. And they gathered together to the battle that great day of the Almighty. And he gathered them together in a place in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. It's the valley of Megiddo. Napoleon stood there and said in this valley, it's the greatest place for a worldwide battle. And one day a worldwide battle will be fought right here. Armageddon. And that great, uh, that, that great uh, valley of Megiddo, notice what the Bible says in verse number uh, 17, the last three words, it is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and great earthquake. Since men were upon the earth, no mighty, so mighty as an earthquake, so great, the city was divided in three parts. God's wrath was poured out. Some say, well, we believe in a post-tribulation, you can, but God's never reserved his wrath for his people. Just as he provided an ark and those that were willing and Noah and his family went in, there is coming a day for the, 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 the trump of the Lord shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together and meet the, the Lord in the clouds. Wherefore we shall ever be with the Lord. There's this doctrine going on big time right now. You know, I don't know why we have to get this new theology stuff. And it's going around the new, new millennials. Well, there's not a, there's not a, there's not a, a pre-tribulation rapture. Well, then you go through the tribulation if you want, but I'm out of here. Because God's not going to pour out his wrath on his people. He's coming even for Israel who's rejected him. And he's coming. He still calls them my heritage. He'll fight for them. I wish we had time to go to 14, chapter 14. 
of Revelation, but you may want to mark it 14. Well, I have to go there, 14, 14. And I look, Revelation 14, 14, I look and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat upon the Son of Man having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Joel's gonna use that same word, the sickle. Thrust in, verse 15, the sickle. Verse number 16, thrust his sickle. Verse number 17, having his sharp sickle. Verse number 18, the sharp sickle. Verse number 19, thrust in the sickle. The great winepress of his wrath. There's coming a day when God will cut down with that sickle and he'll deal with the God haters that have rejected the love of God. Go back and quickly, we'll try to wrap it up. So we see there's an ambush, an awakening, an, an apostasy, and an alarm, an annihilation, an army, an Armageddon. But then there's the Almighty, chapter number three, verse 14. Multitudes of multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near the valley of decision. Many preachers have preached this, and it's maybe not a violation. They always talk about the multitudes. It's, it's decision time. And go ahead, preach that. I'm not saying it's, God has one, one interpretation, many applications. You're in the valley of decision. But that's not really what this text is about. This text, it's not about man's decision. It's about God's decision. And God's decision is, I'm not going to let this go on anymore. I'm going to deal with it. The Almighty. And then the announcement, and I close. Chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord will be jealous for his land and pity his people. Chapter 2, verse 20. I will remove far from you the northern army. I'll drive them into a barren land. God's going to protect the Jews. And verse number 23, and be glad then ye children of Zion and rejoice in the Lord. I have all the Zions marked particularly in the next chapter, but so many times he talks about Jerusalem and Zion and even this chapter. And notice what he says in verse number 26, and ye shall eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who hath dealt wonderfully with you. Ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. In chapter 3, verse number 2, I'll gather the nations which have scattered my heritage. Verse number 3, they have taken my heritage, my people. They've cast lots for my people. They've given a boy for a harlot. They sold a girl for wine. In other words, they abused the Jews. They hated the Jews. And God said, here's what you people, you nations did to my people. The church, verse 6, the children of Judah and the children of Jerusalem, ye have sold to the Grecians. It might remove far from you the border. And I will raise them out of the place where ye have sold them. I will return recompense upon your head, and I will sell your sons and your daughters to the hand of the children of Judah. He says in chapter 3, verse 17, ye shall know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion. My holy mountain and Jerusalem shall be holy. Watch it, Egypt. 19, Egypt shall be a desolation. Why? Because they have shed innocent blood in their land. What was that? The Pharaoh 
how they treated the Jews. And Pharaoh treated, mistreated the Jews and made their lives very hard and bitter as the Bible speaks about. And they said, I want the baby boys to be slaughtered and killed and Moses was to be killed and offered and God, God's wheels may run slow, but he's coming back. And this was way back in Moses' day and what the Egyptians did to God's people. But he said, at time's up, sound the alarm, Egypt, I'm coming after you. You're not gonna get away with it. Verse 19, Egypt shall be a desolation. Verse 20, Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. He dwells in Zion. What a wonderful book. Now what I'm asking you to do is what the preacher asked us to do, Joel. Just repeat the story. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.